you got a Bible, open it. I am psyched to start preaching this one. I hope you're psyched to listen to it. We're going to talk about our heads. Everybody point to your head. Whether you're, yeah, you know what's in there? Like three pounds of mush. It's called your brain. You can stop pointing now. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the epicenter, the, 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 the beginning point of life in, in great part. It's, it's where everything funnels to and from in the lives that we live. And we're going to live, and we're going to talk about it. Um, specifically in terms of how God wants us to use our minds, how he wants us to think in this life as we talk about winning the war in our heads. Uh, Here's a statement. Uh, We're going to talk a lot about thinking. You think about this one. See if you agree with me. Uh, The quality of one's life is determined almost entirely by the thoughts that one thinks. Let me say that again. The quality of one's life is almost entirely determined by the thoughts that one thinks. I say that and and believe that. And I say almost entirely because I know, some of you might even be thinking this right now, there's lots of stuff out there that are beyond, you know, it's beyond my control. Like, uh, you know, uh, James and Sherilyn just alluded to the fact that they were planning in May, last May, to go to Japan, and then uh, something beyond their control took place. It was called COVID-19. That was not on the schedule. Uh, And it altered how things would go. Uh, we had an election. Uh, maybe that didn't go as you had hoped. Uh, we have all kinds of reactions online and live uh, to the things that we post or say. And we can't control other people. Who would love the joystick that controls the other people? Would anybody like that? That'd be a fun little you know, tool to have. Uh, but we are, in great part, powerless with everything out here. Uh, I was reminded of that this week. There was two families in our church that actually their sons uh, were involved in uh, uh, accidents. They were crossing the street and two guys in our, young guys in our church got hit by cars this past week. Would you please uh, pray with me for Kenny and uh, Terry Cates and their son Tyler, who is home and recovering? Uh, but even uh, more recently, uh, Tobin and Amanda Wolverton's son Calhoun was walking across the street in Gainesville and got hit by a car late night and, and uh, he's still recovering from his injuries in the ICU there. Um, that was not on the schedule. Uh, those kinds of things happen in life. We, we're, we're reactors in, in, in those situations. We didn't plan them, prescribe them. It's just, so, so that's why I say almost entirely uh, our thoughts determine the quality of our lives. But I, I can say this, no matter what comes, we have the choice in how we handle what comes. Are you with me? We get to process and choose our uh, reactions, our paths, as it were when those situations that are beyond our control hit our lives. So put another way, what we think uh, determines who we are in the situations that we can't control and what we do in those situations when they arrive. Our choices and our acts, our voices and our pacts, our wonders and our blunders. All these start here, between our temples with an idea, an interpretation, a calculation, a thought. That's why when you do something stupid, the people who uh, saw you do that or or experiencing the consequences of you doing that ask this question. What were you thinking? Who's ever said that to a kid you're raising? Anybody? Yeah, that's just a common question. Something goes awry in life, a choice is made, an option is is, uh, opted for, and and, and you just look at the person and you're like, what? possibly could you be thinking in that situation? 
A lot of times people ask that question, say uh, this one, it's a total cop-out, I wasn't. I know what they mean, I wasn't thinking correctly, but everybody chooses what they choose and heads in the directions that they head because somewhere up here they thought, that's a great idea. This is gonna work out awesome. This is what I should do. I, uh, I've kind of done a, a, a deep dive on, uh, on the functions of our brains. I'm not a brain uh, scientist, uh, even by saying it that way, you know I'm not a brain scientist. Um, <laughs> there's probably a, a proper term. Uh, but I did, I did read a, a few of the studies that these brain scientists have produced. Uh, there was one out of USC a few years ago that says, um, you know, uh, we believe that people, the average American adult or any adult, has about 70,000 different thoughts a day. 70,000. And that those 70,000 dots, thousand thoughts, uh, involve about 35,000 decisions. Does that, I mean, I, I, I want to read further on that, but that seems like a lot. Psychology Today reports that. C certainly, uh, from those findings, we, we can all agree that we're sentient beings. We're always thinking. We're always choosing. And, and so that's why we're doing this series. And in this series, there's a couple questions. I hope there's more that we get answered, but a couple questions that I pray we get answered as we walk through the next three or four weeks together. The first question that I hope we get to answer personally in our own lives is this one. How, how, are, how are you doing in your thinking? How's your thinking? How's your thinking? I don't want you to listen to this theoretically. You know, like this is a great idea for someone else. Or I hope my wife pays attention. Or I hope my husband pays attention. Or whatever. I want you to look in the mirror, the metaphorical mirror, and ask yourself this question right now. In parts of your life, could your thinking be better? Uh, th throw this scale up on the, on the screens for us here. Uh, basically, uh, if, if there's, uh, you know, a... a, a a spectrum that we fall on. If, if, you know, a one is being completely worried about some issue and a 10 is being peaceful, think about the stuff of your life. Where do you land in being worried or being peaceful? It's been a year of worry. Uh, how about negative thinking and positive thinking? How about worldly thinking and heavenly thinking? I want us to examine ourselves and ask us ourselves that question. Each week that we gather in this series, how's my thinking? Where does my thinking need to improve? Where can my thinking be more aligned with what God says I should be thinking? And that's, that's the second question I hope to ask. How should we be thinking? What are the filters that should be in place as I conjure my thoughts, as I, as I put together and piece together my plan for my life? How does God want me to think as I follow him? You know, three chapters into the Bible, I talk about it all the time, but when sin came into the world, Everything went flying off the rails. And we all, many of us, I'm sure, are familiar with how sin started. It started with a lie. And lies are still influencing our thinking even today. The snake slides up next to Adam and Eve, starts with Eve, uh, works his magic, uh, black, horrible magic, on both of them. But he convinces them that they could be like God. And that lie uh, produces this thought in both of them. Yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds great. And off we go into sin. Since then, lies have always been the precursor to every one of the sin choices that you and I make. Did you know that? We tell ourselves this lie. This won't matter. This isn't bad. This, this won't come back to me. This, I can do this and no one will find out. There's all kinds of lies that lead up to every sin choice that you and I make. And it all started with that first lie in the garden. It says in Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness in them who by their unrighteousness, what's it say? 
suppress the truth. They tell themselves lies. It says later in verse 21, they all, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, check this out, futile in their thinking. When Paul describes the, the plight of the human race, the effects of sin on us, he's basically saying it warped our minds. It made us think poorly. And that led us to acting poorly, choosing poorly, claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Misconceptions, assumptions, everybody knows what assuming does, right? Misreads, miscalculations, whether it's on purpose in our rebellion against God or just as a result of us being dulled because of sin in our lives. We're fallible. We make mistakes, we do it all the time. It says in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death. I see this all the time when I'm golfing with buddies. They'll uh, try to make, and I'm usually the most guilty of this, but they'll try to make an impossible shot and it won't go well. And I'll quote that verse. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to the lake. The sand trap, the tree in front of them, and it bounces 50 yards in the other direction. Yeah, we're, because sin has kind of made us, dare I say, stupid, we head in all kinds of wrong directions and are surprised when they ultimately lead us to ruin. Can I just share with you some of the long accepted lies that we've accepted as, as a culture that aren't true? There's too many of them. Anybody grow up uh, hearing that you're not supposed to swim until 30 minutes after you eat? Totally not true. Totally not true. Doctor's like, yeah, get in the pool. Go ahead. Have fun. Uh, anybody ever hear that bulls hate red and that's why they attack the guy, you know, with the cape? Bulls are colorblind. They just don't like the guy. <laughs> anybody ever heard that the Great Wall is visible from space? Not even close to true. Who's heard that one and believed it? Oh yeah, it's gotta be true, it's really big. Not true. That's why it never shows up in any of those pictures you're looking at. Dogs sweat by salivating, anybody heard that? Certainly they regulate their temperature by panting a lot, but do you know where they sweat from? Foot pads. So don't smell a dog's foot pads, it's really bad. And then this is my least favorite. Most heartbreaking, I grew up going to a high school that uh, the Vikings were the mascot and the big horns coming out the side of a Viking's helmet. No Viking ever had those. You know where that came from? 19th century Wagner opera. Some really heavy lady uh, sang a solo with one of those helmets on and it just became a part of the lore. There were more, those are my favorites. But we're prone to believing things that aren't true. And not only that, we are inundated with those untruths, more so now than we've ever been in our society. The internet, the, the computers, they have changed everything. In 1986, um, we had so much data that we need to handle, but in 2011, that amount of data that the average American adult has to process on a daily basis was five times more than it was in 1986. Simply by the fact that we carry screens with us everywhere we go. We, we don't go anywhere where there's not a feed and subconsciously we're ingesting this information. 
I was at the table last night talking with my kids about these facts as I prepared to speak to you. And both of them, almost instinctively when I said, we're always looking at screens, both of them grabbed their phone and started watching TikToks. I'm like, that's not what I meant. I'm still talking. Every 24 hours, there's 500, 500 million tweets, 2 billion logins to Facebook, 3.5 billion Google searches, 5 billion YouTube views, 306 billion emails sent and received. Our brains are these finite uh, pieces in our, you know, our, our lives, and, and they can't absorb. And that's why you have a hard time doing things sometimes. Your brains are too full. That's why you can't remember who you went to high school with. You've long ago erased that one from the memory banks because you need room for all the other stuff that's going in here. That's why the Bible over and over again encourages us to to break away, to to find places where we can just sit and meditate and, and, and soak in the things of God's word. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult to do that. Now more than ever, Ever, we need space to think so we can think well and honor God with our minds. We need to slow down to say these words. Let me think on that. When was the last time you said that? Hey, let, you know, that's interesting. Let me think on that. Let me weigh that. Pray over that. Everything emanates from between our two temples. How is your thinking? How should we be thinking? That's what I want to tackle as we open God's word today. If you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm taking a lot of one of them. I'm going to be teaching you over the next few weeks uh, from a couple books. One's by a guy named Craig Grishel. He's a, a, a current pastor in Oklahoma. He wrote a book called Winning the War in Your Mind. Um, there's another guy. This is a much more uh, learned book, thicker, bigger words. Um, Craig Jews is good words. Anyway, uh, but Harold Blomeyer's wrote a book called The Christian Mind. And if you want to go varsity, you can read that one. Um, yeah, but here in 2 Corinthians 10, let me kind of give you some backdrop here. Corinth had this church uh, that had lots of stinking thinking, uh, lots of, of lies bouncing around. And in fact, Paul had to write them probably more than any other church and correct them and redirect them and, and remind them of the things that uh, he had taught them. Uh, they were just given to sliding back into their old lives without Christ or, or, or listening to false teachers, and that's the issue here in, in 2 Corinthians. There's been lots of false teachers who have come behind Paul and started saying stuff like, hey, you can't trust Paul. Paul's not really with Jesus. We are, but he's not. Yeah, you gotta, you, you got to listen to us and, 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 and just ignore what Paul has to say. Paul's going to address that here in 2 Corinthians 10. He, he starts by saying, hey, man, we've been accused of walking according to the flesh, but here's what he says, and, and, and we're going to learn three things from Paul as he writes these three verses. Uh, the first one is this, that we need to fight the battle in our minds with the weapons that win. Look what he says in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So we got this issue where people are doubting us and you're doubting us now. And we could come, you know, both barrels with all of our, you know, disclaimers and proofs. Uh, but but here's, here's how we're going to deal with this. We're not going to uh, fight using the, the weapons of the world. We're going to fight uh, using the weapons that God has given us. Yeah, we are, all of us, he actually says it there. Paul says, listen, though we walk in the flesh, Paul's saying, I'm no different from any, anybody else reading this. I struggle with the same issues of stinking thinking that you do, but I choose not to use that side of me in dealing with my life. 
I choose to opt for a different set of tools and handling. The stuff of this world is very common to us. We, we employ it too often. Uh, when we get uh, hurt, uh, this is our adage. I don't get mad, I get, yeah, and revenge is the result. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, forgetting that Jesus said, you have heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, if you're struck in the cheek, turn the other cheek also to the one who has struck you. We've been given a, a different set of weapons. Look what it says in verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power. Godly dunamis is the word for power. It's dynamite. It's this incredible God-given ability to overcome and destroy the strongholds in our life. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second. But uh, this, if you're, if you're kind of familiar with the story of the Bible, should take you immediately to what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 6 there, where he talks about the, the, the war that we wage. is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and the powers of the air. It's against uh, our adversary. Just like in the devil, we are constantly being pulled offside by the temptations, the lies, uh, and, and the deceit of our adversary. And so there in Ephesians 6, Paul says, hey man, you got to gear up. We studied it a couple years ago here. you got to be wearing the armor of God. He describes it there this way. He says, there's a breastplate of righteousness, there's boots of peace, there's a shield of faith, there's a helmet of salvation. All of these defensive in nature but he gets to the end of his list and he, he lists the one thing that we have as an offensive weapon. Anybody remember what it was? The sword, the sword of the spirit. And he doesn't leave any room for misconstruing this metaphor. He says the sword of spirit, the word of God. That's our weapon. That's what we fight with. When it comes to the stuff that's happening out here, we go to God's word and we employ that in our thinking and then in our choices to govern how we go in life. We need to aggressively attack the lies that our adversary plants in our thinking with the truth that we've been given in God's word. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter four. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When it says there that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, when you bring the word of God to whatever situation it is, whether it's a family breakup, whether it's uh, you know, things going poorly at work, whether it's some relationship in your neighborhood, whether it's your own depression and discouragement, when you bring the truths of the word of God to those feelings, to those circumstances, and you focus on those things through the lens that God provides, it changes how you think and therefore changes how you live. We know the word, or excuse me, when we know the word, we can inject it into our lives and it, it, it makes stuff go better, go well. My, my daughter was in the hospital a couple weekends ago, uh, had some incredible you know, uh, abdominal pain, uh, some infections in her kidneys and other parts of her innards. And, and so um, she needed medication to calm down that pain. And uh, she had, like many of you who have been to the hospital, a needle stabbed in her arm, right? And a bag hanging from a hook. And, uh, you know, intermittently, the, 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 the nurses would come in and administer another shot of this or a shot of that or whatever that was going to, to, to make my daughter feel better. Never once did she be like, oh, this is too painful. 
and rip that. Some of us have. Has anybody done that? Maybe you want to confess. Anyway, uh, uh, but, but she knew, yeah, as, even as uncomfortable as a, as a piece of metal sticking at her arm might be, this was a good thing. I needed what that was in the bag to come into my life so that things can be well. It's the same with the word of God. Probably the most famous instance of this in scripture is in Matthew chapter four. Jesus has just been baptized, right? Remember what he does? He heads out to the woods or the desert really there in Israel, spends 40 days without eating or drinking and then he is visited by Satan himself. And three times our adversary, the liar, the deceiver, comes to Jesus and tries to pull him off of his mission here on earth. He starts with his uh, you know, physical needs. Hey buddy, you can just tell those stones over there to turn into ciabatta. Ciabatta, is that a bread? Is it? Is it good? You remember what Jesus said? Uh, the Bible doesn't report that he really says anything except what his father had inspired to be written in Deuteronomy. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan hears that and he's like, oh, we're going to use the Bible? Cool, I can do that. Takes him up to the, the peak of the temple. And he says, hey, show everybody who you are by throwing yourself down and not getting hurt. Because it says, and then he quotes a verse that talks about how the angels would administer to the, to the sent one of God and would keep him from being harmed. But Jesus picks up what Satan's putting down. He's like, oh, you're not pulling me off. And again, he quotes the scripture and he says to Satan, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan says, perhaps we're not high enough. Peak of the temple, we need greater attitude. So he takes him up to the mountains and he stands on the mountains and I believe that Jesus was able to see the entire world from this one peak, even though that's impossible physically, I get that. But spiritually, he could see all that is the world that would be once uh, in one time or you know, at, at a time uh, you know, deemed by his father would be his terrain. It's Satan's terrain now and that's why Satan says to him, hey man, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll, sk I'll skip over the calendar your father has. I'll give you this world right now. And Jesus, probably buoyed by the first two um, invocations of God's word, says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And guess what? Satan was gone. He came back again and again. In multiple other situations in Christ's life, read the Gospels, but over and over again, Jesus comes to those situations with the truth of his Father, fulfills his mission, and provides for us the way that we have been given in life. See, when it comes to the war in your heads, the most important thing we could be doing is, is using the right weapons to fight it. We need to know the word. We need to invoke the word. We need to do it immediately and not eventually. Uh, last year before the pandemic started, I was mowing my grass. I think I've told you this before. But I really thought, this is how stupid I am, I really thought I could take this huge you know, mower and I could squeeze it between this tree and the pump that runs the water into my house, this big pump. And so I started in there and I was like, yeah, this is going great. Until the little you know, grass shooter thing on this side clipped the pipe and it wasn't even, guys, it wasn't even hard. I didn't hit it hard. But apparently there's so much pressure in that pipe coming out of your pump that just even the littlest knock will sever it. And I was uh, in my, uh, you know, whatever, lawnmower, 
with a geyser coming up over the top of me. Choices need to be made. Is everybody with me on this? Now, I look down immediately, and on all these pumps that you guys, if you have one of these pumps at your house, there's a valve that comes out of the immediate pipe that comes up from the ground, and you can just shut that off. And guess what will happen? Geyser goes away. But I'll confess to you, I didn't see that little handle right away. And so here's the, here's the thoughts that went through my head. I need to, <laughs> it's like I was treating it like a drink spilled at my, my dinner table. I need to go get some towels to wipe this up. So I start running to my garage to find something, probably not towels, but something I could clap down on this pipe. And as I'm about to launch off my, my tractor and head, that's when, that's when I saw the, the valve. I was like, oh, they've already taken care of this for me. And the geyser went down. That was a first things first move right there. Does everybody agree? In certain situations, there's first things first. Sometimes we're paralyzed by fear. Something's happened too fast. We don't know what to do. But there is a best order of things in handling the stuff of our lives. In the, in the, in the, in the, the world that we live in, inside of our heads, it, with all the things that are coming at us, all the information, all the hardships, all the trials, the first thing that needs to happen is I need to know and employ God's word in this moment. And we'll go from there. Second thing Paul teaches us, he, needs, he tells us that we need to go hard after the strongholds that are in our heads. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but uh, these weapons have divine power to do what? To destroy. This is a word that means not kind of sort of harm, put a dent in the fender of. This is a word that means to annihilate, decimate, remove entirely, destroy the strongholds that exist or that exist in our minds. This is a Greek word, achormaton. You've got to do the spit thing on this one. That's why I like saying it. Achormaton. Start saying achormaton. Yeah, some of you don't want to. Okay. It means fortress. It means stronghold. In the ancient cities of our day, you would have the walls that would protect the city, but those walls could be breached. In fact, all you needed to have was someone inside who says, you know what, I'm going to play for the other team. And they opened the door of the walls. In those moments, all the city officials, the kings who lived in that city or, or the leaders of that city would head to the stronghold. It's like our equivalent of the nuclear bunker. We're going to the middle of town. And we're going to get in this stronghold. Lots of times there's, there's earthen walls, 20 feet thick. There's a, there's a, a strong room that the, the leaders of that city would hide themselves in. They would hopefully just wait for, you know, uh, reinforcements or for someone to come and, and rescue them so that they could ride out the war in the stronghold. Paul says, we're not worried about walls. We're worried about strongholds. We're not, in another way of putting it, we're not worried about the symptoms of the problem. We're, we're worried about the cause of the problem. See, a lot of times when it comes to our thinking, when it comes to our failures in life, we try to fix the outward stuff and we never go inside and deal with the strongholds that cause the outward stuff to be. It says in Proverbs 21, verse 22, a wise man scales the city of the mighty. Talking about an invader or an attacker. But he doesn't stop there. He, he brings down the stronghold in which they trust. He, he wipes out any hope of that coming back. It's, it's like us when we talk about treating cancer. 
I know many of our families uh, are walking through that with a loved one. If you went to the, you know, to Moffitt or wherever you're getting your surgery and you talk to a surgeon and they said something like this, well, we know we could probably get all of it, but we're only going to take half of the cancer cells out of your loved one. Are you staying at that hospital? Anybody staying there? No, I'm going to keep going to the hospital until I get the guy who will say, we're going to try to get all of it. We're not just going to mess with some of the, you know, the, the peripheries of this disease. We're going to try to eradicate it and extricate it from life. Paul goes on and he talks about this total destruction in, in another way. In the next verse, he says, we destroy arguments, these ideas, these falsehoods that are these strongholds in our lives. And we, we go against every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He says, we're knocking this whole thing down. When it says lofty opinions there, you know what that word lofty is? He's staying in the militaristic metaphor. Lofty opinions are towers. Again, you would have walls and you would have like these corner towers where archers would kind of just sit there and try to pick you off. Anybody watch Braveheart or any of these other, you know, and and, and he says, we're knocking it all down. We're We're leaving nothing standing because we don't want anything that is inside of us coming back to us. You know, that's the nature of a lot of the problems that we have to deal with is we've got to go inside and deal with what lies and strongholds lie inside of us to really eradicate of ourselves of that problem. Uh, I meant to bring up a Diet Coke can. Um, uh, On June 15th last year, I stopped drinking Diet Coke. This is so minor compared to other strongholds. But I drank Diet Coke for about 25 years. I'm going to guess between six and eight cans a day. It was, it was not a healthy habit. All right. Oh, some of you are like so disappointed. I'm so sorry. Okay. <laughs> there were literal gasps when I said that. That's, that's hurtful. You got your stuff. I had mine. But on June 15th last year, after years of my wife forwarding me studies, telling me how bad diet soda was for my body, for my long-term health, and, and for years of me just saying, meh, I like it. I want, isn't it funny that that's our excuse for the stupid stuff we do? I like it. I want it. We go back to being three. I want to eat dirt. It tastes good. Yeah, you don't eat dirt, honey. No, I'm going to. Why are you taking But finally, uh, by God's grace, I stopped drinking Diet Coke. I haven't had one since June 15th of last year. Can I? Uh, thank you, the three of you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I know you're not the Gaspers. Because the Gaspers are like, well, that should have happened a long time ago. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but here's the deal. That was something bigger than a can. It was a selfish, seated heart issue in my life. It's no longer about just drinking a soda. It was about giving everybody who told me I should stop drinking the soda uh, a, a digit. Are you with me? And letting everybody know, this is my life. And as long as the doctor keeps giving me the right numbers in my uh, results when I go for checkups, I'll do whatever the heck I want with what I put in my face. It was dumb. It was willful. And some of you are drinking you know, diet soda right now. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to stop, but for me, I had to. 
because it was a stronghold in my life. So let me, let me go to the ones that we face. Someone in here right now is defeated, completely depressed, has been for a long time. The voice that you hear in your head when you shut your eyes is you're a loser. You've never won, you never will. There's no chance for you to be a success, you're too dumb. These are your words to yourself. And, and what you need to do is understand that that's a deep-seated stronghold. I don't know where it started, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counselor, but somewhere in there, our adversary found out that that was your thing and he's been lying in your ear for years about that. And he's kept his thumb on you because of it. But we've learned from Paul that we don't come with the world's weapons against this stuff, with the belligerent, you know, middle finger salute to everybody who tells you you have a problem. We come with humility, because that's what the scripture teaches us to do. We come with a readiness to learn and to change. And then we come with God's word, which tells us in Philippians 1 that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, which tells us in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which tells me in Jeremiah that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Those are the truths that need to replace the lies. There's another group of us in here who believe that you have to have control. Now, you would argue that that's not true, but even in arguing that you, you know, don't have to have control, you're trying to take control of that situation, aren't you? And you have to have control so much that you would rather have anxiety and crippling fear. You would rather be angry with how things have turned out because they weren't as you expected and go through life that way than to go to God's word and replace this deep-seated stronghold of control issues with words like this in Psalm 18 where it says, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. That means stronghold. You want to run to a stronghold? Run to the true one, not the lies. Run to the truth. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. He's my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This is David who had lots of external circumstances to overcome people. He had been promised the world and he had been given hell in its place, running for his life separated from his family, hated by those that had once loved him. You think he had some issues at night in the dark nights of his soul? And how did he combat these things? Truth. He came to the lies with truth. He understood it wasn't just enough for him to say, how are you doing? Fine. He had to go to the core of where the problems could start and then the place of the lies put the truth. Instead, the last thing that Paul teaches us here, use the weapons that God gives us, destroy the strongholds, the lies that exist in our lives, and take captive those lives and replace them with the truth. Look at what it says in verse five. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He's continuing with the military metaphor. When he says take every thought captive, you know what he's referring to? It's a word that was used to describe prisoners of war. That's the captivity he's, he's alluding to. 
knock down all the strongholds, kick down all the towers, and then any dudes or dudettes that would be a part of my life that could bring this back to my life, take those prisoner too. Take those thoughts. Herd them. Defeat them. Friday night, uh, I had a first. My wife, Eleanor, works for Echo. They were partnered. Uh, it's WrestleMania tonight, and I guess it happened last night. WrestleMania's in town, and there's all these side minor league wrestling events happening in our area. Uh, Echo got tied to one of them. I went and saw a wrestling match Friday night. Wow, is all I could say. Just amazing. The heel comes out, everybody boos. The hero comes out. It's, you know, when you're there live, you can actually see all the, you know, they don't actually hit each other. It's all, you know, these slaps and stuff. Although one girl, a guy jumped. The guys fight the girls now. When did that start happening? It just seemed off. But uh, I watched this whole wrestling thing uh, unfold before me, this fake fighting, this, this program. But here's how every one of those matches ended. Somebody's shoulders were on the mat. The referee knelt down and slapped that mat three times, and then he held up the arm of the victor. Lots of acting, lots of, oh, I'm so hurt. But there was a victor and a loser. And here's the deal. In your minds, there's going to be a victor in every situation and a loser. And either our adversary is going to win and defeat us in life, or our Savior is going to be given full sway in the thoughts that we think, and he'll be the victor on our behalf. Hmm. As, as we close this morning, here's, can you just uh, quietly meditate on these uh, instructions? As we move forward in this series, here's what I hope everybody here gets to do. I, I pray we get to identify the greatest strongholds, the greatest lies that we tell ourselves that exist in our hearts and minds. And I'm just gonna give you like 10 seconds. Some of you, you, as soon as I started, you, you were there. It was this relationship with this kid of yours. It was uh, this you know, uh, uh, thing that's going on at work or the fact that you don't have work. It, it was your self-esteem. It was, I mean, you knew from the, from the get-go what your strongholds were. You knew them when you came in. But some of you are sitting here and you're like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, this was a great one for someone else, Mark. I hope it hit them. But if you live and breathe and walk on this earth, you are affected by sin. You are, uh, if not immediately right now, on the verge of being conquered by sin. Strongholds can spring up all the time. What are yours? As you identify those strongholds, here's what I want you to do. I want you to admit that there's a lie in there that you believe, but that there's not anything about that stronghold that truth cannot overcome. We're going to talk more about this next week. My hope is, is that you'll learn with me as we examine our thoughts to take captive. And by taking captive, that means pushing all of that uh, untruth and that, that, that stronghold aside and in its place putting God's truth, replacing the lies with truth. Listen, everybody, it all starts right here your life, your reactions to what happens in life, it begins here. And we are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength.
May God grant us the grace. We're going to end on an up today. Is everybody with me on that? Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Say that with me. Yes, I will lift you high. Stand and sing that with us as we close. My prayer that we would confidently affirm uh, that our life is from you, it's for you, uh, that we want to head to you, think like you. Thanks for pulling us out of valleys, for defeating the strongholds that uh, sometimes we allow lies to build up inside of us. Help us through this series to identify those things, to by your grace and through your word deal with those things and replace those things with your truth. Grant us freedom, God, from the stinking thinking that so easily slips in. Give us space, God, in this world inundated with information, most of it uh, fear-inducing and fretful, uh, to, to rest and, and to find the time to uh, dig into you, into your word, and, and to, to find you in the peace that you can, you can give us. That's my heart for us, Lord. Uh, yes, we will lift you high. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. If you want to talk, I'll be in the corner. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you. Peace.